As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi everyone, welcome back to Storytime with Stephanie. Today I read chapters 11 and 12 of volume 3, book 8 of Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. I hope you can grab some tea, cozy up, and enjoy. Chapter 11, Offers of Service from Misery to Wretchedness. Marius ascended the stairs of the hovel with slow steps. At the moment when he was about to re-enter his cell, he caught sight of the elder Jondrette girl following him through the corridor. The very sight of this girl was odious to him. It was she who had his five francs. It was too late to demand them back. The cab was no longer there. The fiacre was far away. Moreover, she would not have given them back. As for questioning her about the residence of the persons who had just been there, that was useless. It was evident that she did not know, since the letter signed Fobin II had been addressed to the benevolent gentleman of the Church of Saint-Jacques du Haut-Pas. Marius entered his room and pushed the door to after him. It did not close. He turned round and beheld a hand which held the door half open. "'What is it?' he asked. "'Who is there?' "'It was the Jondrette girl.' "'Is it you?' resumed Marius, almost harshly. "'Still you. What do you want with me?' She appeared to be thoughtful and did not look at him. She no longer had the air of assurance which had characterized her that morning. She did not enter, but held back in the darkness of the corridor, where Marius could see her through the half-open door. "'Come now, will you answer?' cried Marius. "'What do you want with me?' She raised her dull eyes, in which a sort of gleam seemed to flicker vaguely, and said, "'Monsieur Marius, you look sad.' "'What is the matter with you?' "'With me,' said Marius. "'Yes, you. There is nothing the matter with me.' "'Yes, there is.' "'No, I tell you there is. Let me alone.' Marius gave the door another push, but she retained her hold on it. "'Stop,' said she. "'You were in the wrong. "'Although you are not rich, you were kind this morning. "'Be so again now. You gave me something to eat. "'Now tell me what ails you. You are grieved. That is plain. "'I do not want you to be grieved. What can be done for it? "'Can I be of any service? Employ me.' I do not ask for your secrets, you need not tell them to me, but I may be of use nevertheless. I may be able to help you since I help my father. When it is necessary to carry letters, to go to houses, to inquire from door to door, to find out an address, to follow anyone, I am of service. Well, you may assuredly tell me what is the matter with you, and I will go and speak to the persons. Sometimes it is enough if someone speaks to the persons, that suffices to let them understand matters, and everything comes right. Make use of me. An idea flashed across Marius's mind. What branch does one disdain when one feels that one is falling? He drew near to the Jondrette girl. Listen, he said to her. She interrupted him with a gleam of joy in her eyes. Oh, yes, do call me thou. I like that better. Well, he resumed, thou hast brought hither that old gentleman and his daughter. Yes, dost thou know their address? No, find it for me. The Jondrette's dull eyes had grown joyous and they now became gloomy. Is that what you want? she demanded. Yes. Do you know them? No. 
That is to say, she resumed quickly, you do not know her, but you wish to know her. This them, which had turned into her, had something indescribably significant and bitter about it. Well, can you do it, said Marius. You shall have the beautiful lady's address. There was still a shade in the words, the beautiful lady, which troubled Marius. He resumed. Never mind, after all, the address of the father and daughter. Their address, indeed. She gazed fixedly at him. What will you give me? Anything you like. Anything I like. Yes, you shall have the address. She dropped her head, then, with a brisk movement, she pulled to the door which closed behind her. Marius found himself alone. He dropped into a chair with his head and both elbows on his bed, absorbed in thoughts which he could not grasp, and as though a prey to vertigo. All that had taken place since the morning, the appearance of the angel, her disappearance, what that creature had just said to him, a gleam of hope floating in an immense despair— this was what filled his brain confusedly. All at once he was violently aroused from his reverie. He heard the shrill, hard voice of Jondrette utter these words, which were fraught with a strange interest for him. I tell you that I am sure of it, and that I recognized him. Of whom was Jondrette speaking? Whom had he recognized? M. Leblanc, the father of his Ursul. What? Did Jondrette know him? Was Marius about to obtain in this abrupt and unexpected fashion all the information without which his life was so dark to him? Was he about to learn at last who it was that he loved, who that young girl was, who her father was? Was the dense shadow which enwrapped them on the point of being dispelled? Was the veil about to be rent? Ah, heavens! He bounded rather than climbed upon his commode and resumed his post near the little peephole in the partition wall. Again he beheld the interior of Jondrette's hovel. Chapter 12. The Use Made of M. Leblanc's Five-Franc Piece Nothing in the aspect of the family was altered, except that the wife and daughters had levied on the package and put on woolen stockings and jackets. Two new blankets were thrown across the two beds. Jondrette had evidently just returned. He still had the breathlessness of out-of-doors. His daughters were seated on the floor near the fireplace, the elder engaged in dressing the younger's wounded hand. His wife had sunk back on the bed near the fireplace with a face indicative of astonishment. Jondrette was pacing up and down the garret with long strides. His eyes were extraordinary. The woman, who seemed timid and overwhelmed with stupor in the presence of her husband, turned to say, "'What really? You are sure?' "'Sure. Eight years have passed, but I recognize him. Ah, I recognize him. I knew him at once. What? Didn't it force itself on you?' "'No. But I told you. Pay attention.' Why? It is his figure. It is his face, only older. There are people who do not grow old. I don't know how they manage it. It is the very sound of his voice. He is better dressed. That is all. Ah, uh, you mysterious old devil, I've got you. That I have. He paused and said to his daughters, Get out of here, you. It's queer that it didn't strike you. They arose to obey. The mother stammered, with her injured hand. The air will do it good, said Jondrette. Be off. It was plain that this man was of the sort to whom no one offers to reply. The two girls departed. At the moment when they were about to pass through the door, the father detained the elder by the arm and said to her with a peculiar accent, "'You will be here at five o'clock precisely, both of you. I shall need you.' Marius redoubled his attention. On being left alone with his wife, Jondrette began to pace the room again and made the tour of it two or three times in silence. Then he spent several minutes in tucking the lower part of the woman's chemise which he wore into his trousers. All at once, he turned to the female Jondrette, folded his arms, and exclaimed, "'And would you like to have me tell you something?' "'The young lady.' "'Well, what?' retorted his wife. "'The young lady.' Marius could not doubt that it was really she of whom they were speaking. He listened with ardent anxiety. His whole life was in his ears.' But Jondrette had bent over and spoke to his wife in a whisper. Then he straightened himself up and concluded aloud. It is she. That one, said his wife. 
that very one, said the husband. No expression can reproduce the significance of the mother's words. Surprise, rage, hate, wrath were mingled and combined in one monstrous intonation. The pronunciation of a few words, the name, no doubt, which her husband had whispered in her ear, had sufficed to rouse this huge, somnolent woman, and from being repulsive, she became terrible. It is not possible, she cried, when I think that my daughters are going barefoot and have not a gown to their backs. What? A satin pelisse, a velvet bonnet, boots, and everything. More than two hundred francs worth of clothes, so that one would think she was a lady. No, you are mistaken. Why, in the first place, the other was hideous, and this one is not so bad-looking. She really is not bad-looking. It can't be she. I tell you that it is she. You will see. At this absolute assertion, the Jondrette woman raised her large, red, blonde face and stared at the ceiling with a horrible expression. At that moment, she seemed to Marius even more to be feared than her husband. She was a sow with the look of a tigress. What, she resumed, that horrible, beautiful young lady who gazed at my daughters with an air of pity. She is that beggar brat. Oh, I should like to kick her stomach in for her. She sprang off of the bed and remained standing for a moment, her hair in disorder, her nostrils dilating, her mouth half open, her fists clenched and drawn back. Then she fell back on the bed once more. The man paced to and fro and paid no attention to his female. After a silence lasting several minutes, he approached the female Jondrette and halted in front of her with folded arms as he had done a moment before. And shall I tell you another thing? What is it? she asked. He answered in a low, curt voice. My fortune is made. The woman stared at him with a look that signifies. Is the person who was addressing me on the point of going mad? He went on. Thunder, it was not so very long ago that I was the parishioner of the parish of die of hunger if you have a fire, die of cold if you have bread. I have had enough of misery, my share and other people's share. I am not joking any longer. I don't find it comic any more. I've had enough of puns, good God. No more farces, eternal father. I want to eat till I'm full. I want to drink my fill, to gormandize, to sleep, to do nothing. I want to have my turn, so I do. Come now, before I die. I want to be a bit of a millionaire. He took a turn round the hovel and added, like other people. What do you mean by that? asked the woman. He shook his head, winked, screwed up one eye, and raised his voice like a medical professor who was about to make a demonstration. What do I mean by that? Listen. Hush, muttered the woman, not so loud. These are matters which must not be overheard. Bah, who's here? Our neighbor. I saw him go out a little while ago. Besides, he doesn't listen, the big booby, and I tell you that I saw him go out. Nevertheless, by a sort of instinct, Jondrette lowered his voice, although not sufficiently to prevent Marius hearing his words. One favorable circumstance which enabled Marius not to lose a word of this conversation was the falling snow which deadened the sound of vehicles on the boulevard. This is what Marius heard. Listen carefully. The crisis is caught, or as good as caught. That's all settled already. Everything is arranged. I have seen some people. He will come here this evening at six o'clock to bring sixty francs, the rascal. Did you notice how I played that game on him, my sixty francs, my landlord, my fourth of February? I don't even owe for one quarter. Isn't he a fool? So he will come here at six o'clock. That's the hour when our neighbor goes to his dinner. Mother Boujon is off washing dishes in the city. There's not a soul in the house. The neighbor never comes home until eleven o'clock. The children shall stand on watch. You shall help us. He will give in. And what if he does not give in, demanded his wife. Jondrette made a sinister gesture and said, We'll fix him. And he burst out laughing. This was the first time Marius had seen him laugh. The laugh was cold and sweet and provoked a shudder. Jondrette opened a cupboard near the fireplace and drew from it an old cap, which he placed on his head after brushing it with his sleeve. Now, said he, I'm going out. I have some more people that I must see. Good ones. You'll see how well the whole thing will work. 
I shall be away as short a time as possible. It's a fine stroke of business. Do look after the house. And with both fists thrust into the pockets of his trousers, he stood for a moment in thought, then exclaimed, Do you know, it's mighty lucky, by the way, that he didn't recognize me. If he had recognized me on his side, he would not have come back again. He would have slipped through our fingers. It was my beard that saved us. My romantic beard, my pretty little romantic beard. And again, he broke into a laugh. He stepped to the window. The snow was still falling and streaking the gray of the sky. What beastly weather, said he, then lapping his overcoat across his breast. This rind is too large for me. Never mind, he added. He did a devilish good thing in leaving it for me, the old scoundrel. If it hadn't been for that, I couldn't have gone out, and everything would have gone wrong. What small points things hang on anyway? And pulling his cap down over his eyes, he quitted the room. He had barely had time to take half a dozen steps from the door when the door opened again, and his savage but intelligent face made its appearance once more in the opening. I came near forgetting, said he, you are to have a brassiere of charcoal ready, and he flung into his wife's apron the five-franc piece which the philanthropist had left with him. A brassiere of charcoal, asked his wife. Yes. How many bushels? Two good ones. That will come to thirty sous. With the rest, I will buy something for dinner. The devil, no. Why? Don't go and spend the hundred sous piece. Why? Because I shall have to buy something, too. What? Something. How much shall you need? Whereabouts in the neighborhood is there an ironmonger's shop? Rue Mouftard. Ah, yes, at the corner of a street. I can see the shop. But tell me how much you will need for what you have to purchase. Fifty sous, three francs. There won't be much left for dinner. Eating is not the point today. There's something better to be done. That's enough, my jewel. At this word from his wife, Jondrette closed the door again, and this time Marius heard his step die away in the corridor of the hovel and descend the staircase rapidly. At that moment, one o'clock struck from the church of St. Medard. And that will be all for today. I will be back tomorrow with some more of Les Miserables for you. In the meantime, I hope you have an excellent day. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.